0: Our scripture reading today comes from John 15. Let's share in God's good word together. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Everybody take a deep breath and out. All right. Now, when you first wake up in the morning, the beginning of your day, where does your mind go? First thing you think about. Where does your mind go when you're not over busy with tasks? What are your final thoughts as you drift off to sleep? What do you turn to when your feelings get hurt? Some of you, it's wine. (laughs) Another way of saying it is where is your emotional home? Where does your body go when you get free time? Where does your money go after you pay the bills? Whatever that is, whatever that is. What you abide in. And that's important. Jesus says what you abide in is important. Why? Because what we abide in will determine the fruit of our lives. Say that with me. Whatever we abide in will determine the fruit of our lives. Simply axiomatic. Whatever you're connected to, whatever you turn to, the fruit will follow. Jesus says this over and over and over again. You plant an apple tree, you ought to expect apples. Right? And if something else comes up, you're like, oh, that wasn't really an apple tree. It was a lemon tree or a lime tree or something else. So if you are connected to abiding in living with the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says that you can expect the following to naturally flow out of your life. If you're connected to the Holy Spirit, these are the things. Say them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are those flowing out of your life. Because if you're connected connected to the Holy Spirit, that is the natural outflow of your life. It's not something you work towards. It's a byproduct of who you're abiding in. So here's the thing that we just have to be honest about. People go their entire lives wishing that they had deep faith, but not doing the work. And then they're confused. Friends, our relationship with Jesus takes serious attention. It requires serious attention. So, as a way of introduction, if, if we're in the middle of a sermon series here, actually learning how to follow Jesus, how to practice the way of Jesus. And so our goal here at Acts 2, we say this every week if you're on time, is our goal <laughs> is to become radical Christ followers or what apprentices of Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. Um, and fortunately for us, uh, a new book has come out that I think... Uh, Is super accessible Uh, and takes really hard concepts from Dallas Willard, um, people like Richard Foster uh, and, you know, ancient writers um, and brings them to us so that we can practice the way Uh, and and to be specific, practicing the way of Jesus. And so uh, to follow Jesus, John Mark Comer, the author of this book, he says, is to become his apprentice. It's to organize your entire life around three driving goals. Say them with me. Number one. Be with Jesus. Number two, become like him. And number three, do as he did. So today we're going to do number one. Next week we'll do number two. And the week after that, number three. So here's the thing. I'm not asking you to do anything else in your life. I'm not asking you to add something on. You, You all are busy people. You don't have time for that. Friends, you are already a disciple. You are. You're following someone. You're learning something. You're spending your time in a certain way. The question is... Whose, whose disciple are you? And only you can answer that. Where does your mind go? Where do you spend your time? Where do you put your resources? That's who is discipling you, whatever that is. Bob Dylan knew this way back in the 70s. He said, you're going to have to serve somebody, right? Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And not only are you going to have to, you already do. You do. I do. You do. We all, we all serve somebody, Now, in Jesus' day, he was a rabbi, and people knew rabbis as masters. They were master teachers before master teacher was a thing on the Internet. Jesus was a rabbi. He was the master, and you did what the goal was to become like your master. And so everybody wanted to be a rabbi. That was like the best thing you could be in Jesus' day. And so children would go to school, and by the age of 13, most children would have the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what? Memorized. And by the age of 17, students who could actually go on had memorized the entire Old Testament. And if they could do that, the very extraordinary, the extraordinary could apply to be an apprentice of a rabbi. It wasn't a done deal. You would actually have to go and apply, much like a PhD students would do today. You would find somebody that you wanted to learn under, their particular yoke, their way of life, their, their way of study. And if the rabbi thought that you had the potential to become a rabbi, he would say, say it with me, Come follow me. So we, I don't know about you, but I was young when I heard this the first time, right? And and Jesus came to the fishermen. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fish for people, fishers of men. And I was like, wow, what great faith those fishermen had. That's how I read it. Had no idea that anybody, anywhere that was Jewish would have left anything. I mean, like I don't have to do stinky fish anymore. Yes, I'm in. I'm following the guy. He was a rock star. Everybody wanted to do that. And, and the, the point of it, though, which we can, it's easy to miss, the entire goal was being with your master to become what? Like your master. It wasn't just to hang out with him. It wasn't to get a degree. It was to actually become like him. I often think, you know, there's at least three kinds of students, overly generalized. There's those who just want to get by, those that want to have knowledge to pass the test, and they're those who actually want to know. And you know, for me, particularly when it comes to mechanical engineering, I want them to know because <laughs> I'm driving on their bridges. Right. I don't want to know. I don't know if they can buy. I don't want to know if they pass this. I want to know if their current work, if they actually have invested and ingested the entire way to do the skills so that people don't die on our bridges and in our rockets and in our cars. Amen. Isn't that what you want? You want people to actually know the things, not just get by with the things. It's to become like your master, to actually know and live the knowledge of your master teacher. So then we come to this really disturbing piece um, that I've talked with some of you about through the week. Uh, John Mark Comer goes as far as to say this. He says, there is no guarantee, that's important, there's no guarantee that you can be a Christian, but not an apprentice, a true follower of Jesus, and still go to heaven when you die. Jesus warned us not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what does Jesus say? Only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now, notice he's not saying that you won't go to heaven. He's saying that there's no guarantee. You can't know that because Jesus never said that you'll go to heaven if you don't follow him. Jesus did say that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Right, And you, you have to be in that life, in that way. And he says, that's, that's the only way. And so um, sometimes it helps me to read the Bible in different translations because I can just get so used to reading it one way, I think I know what it means. And so I went back to the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 7, and Eugene Peterson translates uh, this text this way. He says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Check Facebook, Instagram, right? Everybody's got one. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life to God, say it with me, is vigorous and requires total attention. He goes on to say, knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master, for instance, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills, I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, our God-sponsored project, had everyone talking. And Jesus says, you know what I'm going to say to them? Uh, Guys, you missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out. You're out of here. And then Jesus says, at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. Say it with me. Words to build a life on. Words to build a life on. God has a good life for you, but it requires us actually being obedient. Now, depending on the way you grew up, Depending on your tradition, this this can get really uncomfortable. Because we can often forget, you'll hear, that we are saved by what? Grace, not by works. We know this. Paul writes this very clearly in in Ephesians. Lest no one should boast, Paul says. So what is this about? How do you hold these things in tension? Well, Dallas Willard is very helpful to me. He says, grace is not opposed to what? To effort, not at all. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn your way into heaven... But it does take your best effort to follow Jesus. It just does. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, doesn't just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. It has to do with your whole life. It really does. And Jesus' way is really the only way that leads to a full and abundant life. He's the vine. We are the branches. Now, last week, forgive me, 915 people, because I... I didn't yet have the question, Um, but there's always the question of the thief on the cross. And I always thank God for the thief on the cross, because sometimes I have to do funerals and the people are terrible. And I, you know, I, I got nothing. There's no guarantee, but there's the thief on the cross. And so I think, okay, well, this is great because Jesus, this, what did the thief on the cross do that was good that we know of? Zero, nothing, nothing at all. And yet Jesus says to him, Today, truly, I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. This is great news. What we don't think about is, but what would happen if he actually somehow was able to get down off the cross? If he continued to kill people, or rob them, or cheat them, or steal from them, or hurt from them, would you say that he had salvation relationship with Jesus? Absolutely not. So, given time and opportunity... The expectation is if he was in a relationship with Jesus, he would then go and live what? Differently. Now, this is not as hard a concept as we like to make it. Some of you are married. Right? And then we act accordingly or not accordingly. And so you'd say, well, I vowed that I was going to follow Jesus to do my actions show that? I vowed to love my wife or my husband. Do my actions show that? If someone were to look at my life, would they say that I'm in a relationship with Jesus? Am I in a relationship with my spouse? Or am I about something else in my life? Now, our founder, John Wesley, did not hold any punches. That's probably why he moved from place to place all the time. (laughs) He said this, he said, yea, our Lord himself declares He, This is a photo of John Wesley, not photo, rendering. Um, He says, He that believeth in the Son, believes in the Son, has everlasting life. Yes. And comes not into condemnation, but pass from death unto life. Everybody says amen to that. We're all in there. But then he says this. But here, let no man or woman deceive his or her own soul. It is diligently to be noted. The faith which bringeth not forth repentance to turn your life towards God... And love and all good works is not that right living faith, but a dead and devilish one. For even the devils believe. And James says the same thing. You can look it up there. And then John Wesley goes on, he says, These articles of our faith, things like the Apostles' Creed, and so they believe all that is written in the Old and New Testament, and yet for all this faith, they be but devils. They remain still in their damnable estate, lacking the very true Christian faith. So, friends, What John Wesley is saying, what Jesus is saying, what James is saying, is that belief is not enough. Even the demons believe. Even the devil knows scripture. It's about the relationship of following Jesus. Period. dot, practicing his way of life. That's what leads to life. So this week, the first and most important goal of practicing the way of Jesus is to be with him. Because if you're not with him, You can't get to know him. You don't know what he sounds like, how he acts, what he does. When when he's having a good day, what that's like. How he thanks the Father all the time. How he pushes back the darkness. So friends, it's not a program. It's not a one, two, three kind of deal. But it's a process and a progression of becoming like Jesus. And it takes your whole life. Your whole life. John Mark Comer would say it like this. He says, first you come, be with Jesus. And gradually, you start to become like him. Eventually, it's like you can't help it. You begin to do the kinds of things that he did in the world. So it's not like you have to do this, this, and this. It's you spend enough time with someone, you start to become like them. Have you ever noticed that? People that you work with, you pick up their sayings uh, or you pick up their food habits or whatever habits they have. You, it's been said that you are basically, you know, the, the combination of the five people that you spend the most time with in your life. So choose wisely. We I mean, think about that. That's why husbands and wives have been together forever. Look alike, sound alike, talk alike. So I learned this the hard way when I was very very young. This is my cousin Keith. Love Keith. He's awesome and he lives down in Ozark, Alabama. And he has a very thick, deep South accent, which I love. And Keith and I grew up. He was uh, the the cousin closest in my age, and so we would go sailing together, play in the Gulf Coast together, go fishing together. We'd do everything together. And, and I would spend two weeks with Keith every year in the summer. And and he also, um, you know, drove a big truck. He would, like, put together big monster trucks. He was super cool. Um, just loved hanging out with Keith. And um, he, had, he has two girls. Uh, one of them is Casey. She was a barrel racer and uh, rode for Troy and uh, in Alabama. And just... Great people, just salt of the earth kind of people. But when I would get back home to Oklahoma, I had the weirdest Oklahoma, Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Louisiana accent you had ever heard. My friends would be like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know what is wrong with me. Like, what? And it would take like weeks to get it off of me, right? They're lovely people, but I sounded weird, right? I didn't really fit anywhere. And it happens. Whoever you're running with, you'll start to look like them, sound like them, act like them. And here's the great thing about God. One of the great things about the way God made us is that we can change our minds. You don't have to be the way you've always been. You get to choose. You get to choose who you follow. You get to choose whose disciple you are. But you do have to choose. Paul writes it this way to the early church in Rome. He says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. You get to choose. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't even know what's good until you give the Lord your mind. Because otherwise you'll just think the things of the world are good. So it has to be transformed. That's first, the renewing of our minds. Dallas Willard um, was a philosopher at USC as well as an ordained pastor. And he said the first and most basic thing Right, just do this intellectually. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds all the time. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and then redirect and redirect and redirect our minds constantly to Him. So, right now, some of you are not thinking about the Lord. You're thinking about lunch or, or whatever else it is. And and, and that's okay, that's human. You cannot control what comes into your mind automatically. But you can choose on what you dwell on. And you can choose to redirect that thought to, oh, yeah, Mark's preaching. Yes. Right? So here I am. <laughs> the Lord's trying to talk to you. Right? And we say, well, but prayer doesn't, I mean, I know I'm supposed to connect to Jesus in prayer, but that's not working for me. Keep going. The more you pray, the easier it gets. Say that with me. The more you pray, the easier it gets. And, and the more prayer itself comes to mind. The more you pray, then the next time something starts to come up, you're like, oh, I'm going to pray about this. And you learn to just start praying about everything. Something that Paul says, pray without ceasing. That there's never a time you're not really praying. You're always trying to be in the flow. And you can know when you're in the flow of God. You really can. It's because lights turn green for you when you need to be somewhere. People who are hurting show up in the darndest places where you weren't expecting them. Help comes to you in ways that you did not think was possible. Blessings come to you. Resources come to you. Just simply by being where God wants you to be. And and you can know that. And you can also know when you're not in the flow. You can know very much that things were going well. You made some decisions that you knew were not of God and things started to fall apart. It's really not that hard to know. Hard to do, not hard to know. But it takes practice. It really does. It takes practice. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of practice. All day, every day practice. Like with anything else. Can you imagine coaching a competitive team? Pick your sport. It doesn't matter. And you say to your students, Hey, we're going to be a championship team. We're going to go out there and we're going to make a difference in the world. We're going to be the best of the best of the best. And your your people say, Great, coach. I'm going to practice twice a week when it fits my schedule like, well, it really is a team sport. I know, but it doesn't really fit my schedule. So I'll show up on Thursday at 2 p.m. Great. How what do you think that team's going to do? How well do you think the church is doing? Right? It takes time, intentionality, practice together as people of faith. Now, you watch a person's habits, and you will see who they're becoming. Now, other people would say, watch a person's habits, and I'll tell you who they are. I don't go that far because it's up to God who they are, right? But I can't tell you who they're becoming without a serious intervention. I can tell you who they'll be. I can tell you who they're becoming. And you can too. You can too. You can see little ones. And you're like, ooh, that girl's going to be a CEO, right? That, that, that person's going to make NCAA basketball. This person's going to be d D1 athlete. This person, you know, I mean, you can see it. But here's the thing, simply spending time with Jesus, not running some program, but just spending time with him, he'll, that'll make you more loving. Think about it in your life. Aren't there people that when they come in the room, the whole room just changes? I think grandmas are like that a lot, you know? <laughs> Grandkids are acting the fool in the backyard. Grandma comes out and they're like, "Ooh, straight up. Grandma's watching. Just changes things. Jesus changes things when you let him in the room. Now, Paul would write it like this. He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's bigger than you can imagine, friends. And and John Mark Comer has uh, both sobering and good news for us. He says, no family of origin is healthy enough to transform us into the kind of love we see in Jesus. Not, not even the best of the best. And, here's the good news, no family is dysfunctional enough to keep us from becoming people of love in Jesus. I don't care where you've been. I care deeply if you're connected to Jesus because that'll make all the difference in your future. So, this is kind of a weird question, but let me, let me just throw it out to you. If you'll close your eyes for just a second. What happens inside of you when you hear the phrase, God wants to talk to you. All right, you can open your eyes. God wants to talk to you. How do you feel about that? Yeah, some of you are pretty happy. And some of you are like, uh-uh, know, like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Well, that'll tell you a lot about your prayer life, right? Are you excited to hear from the Lord? Or is it terrifying to you? And if it is terrifying to you, I would submit to you, you don't know him. God is love. The very essence is love. God can't help but love you. That's God's character. So much so that he would die on the cross for you. So if, if there's anything you think you've done that outdoes the cross, you are dead wrong. The Lord loves you with all that he is. He's, he can't wait to talk to you. He loves you. And so John Mark Comer goes on to say, he says, When you sin, and you will, as I will, we all do, don't hide it from God. Don't hide it. Don't relish in it, but you don't hide it. You hold it before God with no excuses. This is me. God knows anyway. No blame shifting, no denial, just utter vulnerability. Yes, this is who I am for real. And let God love you as you are, because God does right where you are. And then let God love you into who you have the potential to become. I grew up hearing it this way. The God who loves you where you are, loves you enough not to leave you there. He's got... Good plans for you, says the Scriptures. Right? Plans not for harm, but for a beautiful life. But you have to be connected to Him. So, for some of you, you've never really prayed. Um, we've done complete six-week series on prayer, so this is super, super uh, condensed down. But I would invite you to try this this week. First of all, when you pray, be respectful. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's not your buddy. He's the Lord of all, creator of the heavens and the earth, the moon, the stars, and the sky. And he loves you, but you are not equals, not even close. God's more powerful than a thousand suns, but he loves you anyway. So Jesus says, if you want to talk to my father, talk to him like this. Our father in heaven hallowed, special, sacred, be your name. Your kingdom first, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That has set the table. If you can start there, you're in great shape. So be respectful. And then second, Jesus says, be normal. Just be normal. Don't, don't be weird. Don't use big churchy words. Just be normal. Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows. He just wants to talk to you. Be normal. And then maybe hardest of all these days is to be present. No distractions. You can't pray with your phone on you, really. Not before you get a notification and then you have to determine would you rather hear the Lord's voice or just know the update on the score or whatever it is. Because you can't do both at the same time. Not really. And and I know you can't do that all day every day, but you can Start. With some time. So be respectful, be normal, be present. Henry Nowen says, actually, he goes as far as to say, uh, Henry Nowen was a professor at Yale, Harvard, um, Notre Dame. Um, Great uh, author, I recommend him to you. He says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. You just can't do it. Silence and solitude is the first and foundational discipline. Everything else comes after that. So Jesus says, whenever you pray, do not be like hypocrites. They love to stand out, pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Not like that. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward, right? You want to get recognized? Be recognized. But whenever you pray, right, my disciples, my followers, my people of my way, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Go in where people can't see you so you can be honest with God. So you're going to be open, right? You're going to be present. You're going to be open. And so Henry Allen, when he was struggling, he actually found Mother Teresa. And he went to her and he asked her what he needed to do to go deeper with the Lord. How he could be spiritually formed. You know what Mother Teresa said to him? She said, spend one hour a day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. That's it. That simple. Can you imagine? You ask Mother Trace, what do I need to do to really follow Jesus? And that's the answer. That's it. So, let me ask you a question. Because you and I both know you cannot add Jesus on top of your current schedule. This is not going to work. So, you have to ask yourself, what can you delete or delay or delegate this week To create space to be with, hear, and fall in love with God again. Because it takes time. It takes time. Why? Because you can't love in a hurry. You just can't. It doesn't work. Now, I know we've been working off of John Mark Comer's book and the scriptures, of course. Um, But I also really like it when it dovetails uh, with social science research. Arthur Brooks has been studying happiness for decades now. Um, And he's at the Harvard Business School. And, And when it comes to faith life, he writes this. He says, this is not all fun and games. People report intense discomfort. Beginning meditators have often never been alone with their thoughts. Some of you in this room, you've never been alone with your thoughts. This is terrifying to you. To follow almost any spiritual practice is to say, I'm going to admit I don't know everything and do this hard thing that the world says is weird and silly. And particularly for our younger people, that's the last thing they want is for people to think they're weird and silly. But if you go in the middle closet of the guest room and pray, you've got to get past what other people might think about that. You, you understand what I'm saying? You have to get past the opinion of others. And that is rough around Edmund. But until you care more about what Jesus thinks of you than other people think of you, you're in, you're in trouble. You just are. Whose disciple are you? Choose wisely. Because if you care more about what a colleague thinks of you than Jesus thinks of you, I mean, I don't know a person on this planet I would put my life in their hands. I mean, not a single person. But I'll put in Jesus, for sure. Because everybody's going to fail, except for Jesus. Jesus. So, here are your action steps for the week. Find a distraction-free place to sit or walk with God in silence with no agenda for 15 minutes. Um, I just, I'll, Truth in advertising, I'm a terrible sitter. I don't sit well at all. That's why I'm a preacher. I couldn't do what you do. Right? <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm a good walker. Right? I can walk and talk with God all the time. So, sometimes you'll see me out in the parking lot. Like, what's Pastor Mar doing? Oh, he's talking to God because that, that's what I do. I'm, I'm talking, I'm listening, I'm trying to figure out what the Lord would have us do next, would have me do next. And then, and I don't, I don't mean to freak anybody out here, but here's, here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes God's silent. He just is. But when God is silent, keep showing up. Doesn't mean he's mad at you, he loves you. It's just, there's something he's teaching you. So when God is silent, keep showing up, get a pen and notepad, and write down thoughts or distractions. This is super important because for some of you who've never taken more than you know, 30 seconds to pray, if you actually sit down and try to pray for 30 minutes, you will have a thousand things come at you, things that you didn't want to remember from junior high. And you're like, I'm not going to do this. And so I would, I would recommend, and it's very helpful, just have a legal pad over here. And when those thoughts come, just write them down. And, and the forces of darkness will try to make you concentrate there, to shame you or guilt you or get you off track. And you're like, no, I'll deal with that someday. Come back to the prayer. You redirect your mind towards God, right? That's what Willard said. You've got to redirect your mind towards God. And you say, okay, God, talk to me. Right? And this is what you say. Jesus, what would you like to say to me? Just a simple, what do you want to say to me? And when the thought comes, you need to go feed your dog. Feed the dog. Lord, what would you like to say to me? Right? And, you know, it might be as simple as call your mom. And then you're like, call your mom. And then God's like, no, like now. Like, oh, call my mom. (laughs) Then call your mom. Right? And then you ask again, God, what would you like to say to me? Because he's ready to talk to you. Because he loves you. With all that he is.